To be. Or not to be. That, that is, is the question. question. The sheer bald, bare, compressed simplicity of those first six words is very, very hard to beat. The content of it and the truth of that opening line have kind of rightly made it the most famous speech. It's clearly a bullseye into the world's consciousness. To die. To sleep. To sleep. Perchance to dream. Aye, there's the rub. It's a really, really weird and really, really hard speech. What does it mean? Welcome to To Be or Not To Be. In this series, we interview some of our leading actors, directors, scholars and writers. And in each episode, we start by asking them, what do you think of Hamlet's soliloquy? To be or not to be? Surely the most famous and baffling speech in all of English literature. And as you'll see, almost no one can agree on what it actually means. Everyone thinks they, in their own unique way, resonate with Hamlet and understand Hamlet. So everyone has their own version of to be or not to be. But you will find lots of people saying it means entirely different things. We don't really know what to be or not to be means, and a lot of academics have spent a long time thinking about it. Because he still does affect us and still does interest us, I think that the things that we are passionate about can tell us the most about what we are as, as human beings on this earth. For who would bear the whips and scorns of time, the oppressor's wrong, the proud man's contumely, the pangs of despised love? It's halfway through the play. Hamlet is angry, grief-stricken, alienated and abusive to almost everyone he knows. He's pretending to be mad and he might actually be undergoing a nervous breakdown of some sort. Above all, he's tormented by the task which has been forced upon him of killing his uncle to avenge the murder of his father. It's at this point that Hamlet walks onto the stage and asks a question. To be or not to be, that is the question. So is this a man contemplating suicide? Is it a more general meditation about whether all our lives are worth living? Is it about taking action to fight injustice or about living with authenticity in the world or something else entirely? In this episode, we ask some of Britain's greatest stage actors who've played the role. How did they handle the most famous lines in all of English drama? Hamlet kneels down and starts thinking, what's the point? What is death? Why, why am I alive to do this? And wondering about life, I would take my pulse. And the rhythm of the of my heartbeat going through my wrist was the rhythm I used for to be or not to be. That is the question. Adrian Lester played Hamlet in the year 2000 with the legendary director Peter Brook. I allowed myself to be to be real and in the moment and just listen to my own heart beat and my pulse running through my body to think about what life and how you sustain life and what life actually means and what's the point. The thing about the most famous speeches is it takes a while for you to speak them and forget about all the other interpretations you've heard <laughs> in your life. And this is probably the most famous speech. It took a while for me to actually make it my own and, and realise that Hamlet was wondering whether he should live or die and what was the point of it all. 
I mean, I hate paraphrasing Shakespeare, but how do you paraphrase to be or not to be? Samuel West played the role for the RSC in 2001. First of all, is it about wanting to kill myself at the time? I don't think it is really. I think it's about a bigger question, which is, is life worth living? And, and the second question is, how do you do a soliloquy? Are you talking to yourself or are you talking to the audience? And my approach was, let's properly do a soliloquy talking to the audience and, and let's ask them a question. And that's, so that's what we did. I, I opened a pair of double doors, very simple double doors, right upstage and walked all the way down and said, to be or not to be. You can't switch off from it. It's a soliloquy about being alive and then being going to die. And then, and you can't go, well, I'm sorry, that doesn't apply. Yes, it does. It applies to all of us. You know, the only thing we know, having been born, is that no one gets out of here alive. So listen up. There was, there was one extraordinary moment in another soliloquy. I played Hamlet 136 times, and in the middle of the 132nd performance, I remember I'd always thought that if I asked myself the questions properly, somebody might answer. And I said, am I a coward? And somebody at the back said, yes. And I turned to the audience, who calls me thus? And he said, me, back row of the circle, don't know what seat. And I thought, this is fantastic. I'm actually having a conversation in the middle of a soliloquy, which is exactly what it should be. I later found out who it was and I sent him an email to say thank you. Cause it was, I got off stage and the, and the stage management said, are you all right? I said, are you kidding? It's the most exciting thing that's ever happened. Jonathan Slinger played Hamlet at the RSC in 2013, and he caused a huge stir with something he did just before he delivered the first line of the speech. It's something he felt was in keeping with Hamlet's deranged state of mind. He is, at this point, in the height of his manic disposition, and he is determined to fuck with people's heads at this point in the play. And I sang Happiness. <laughs> the um, Ken Dodd song. It was Ken Dodd's sort of theme tune. Like, he always used to sing it every show he ever did. It goes, happiness, happiness, the greatest gift that I possess. I thank the Lord that I've been blessed with more than my share of happiness. It was hugely controversial. <laughs> but I mean, lots of people hated it as an idea. I remember particularly when we went up to Newcastle and we did it in Newcastle and we had a Q&A after one of the shows and there was a woman at the Q&A who was absolutely furious about it. I mean, clearly, personally offended. You know, how can you add this thing onto Shakespeare? And my thing was always like, well, partly because I thought it was a sort of rather, it fit, it fit with his, you know, this sort of manic episode that he's having. It was sort of perverse in the way that, in the way that Hamlet is perverse at that point in the play. <laughs> I'm going to sing this incredibly ridiculous song about being happy when it's the complete antithesis of what I am. To sleep no more And by a sleep to say we end the heartache And the thousand natural shocks that flesh is heir to I think the fear of that speech goes away once you start to forget about how famous it is, forget about the fact that everyone in the audience has heard a version. I stopped worrying about that once actually I had started to really figure out who my Hamlet was going to be. Nicole Cooper played the role in 2019 in a production directed by Gordon Barr. The things that this poor person goes through from the start of the play to the end of play, it just, 
it's it was heartbreaking it was heartbreaking to do it but it just heartbreaking to kind of go god this this what else what else can the human heart bear once i'd sort of hooked into the idea that that hamlet to begin with is already in a very very vulnerable place and is having to deal with depression or mental illness because our hamlet was so vulnerable and in a really delicate place to be or not to be felt that this was the character literally standing on the edge of the precipice in that moment contemplating suicide so for me to be or not to be became yeah her discussing in that moment whether or not she should do it in his 11 years as artistic director of Shakespeare's Globe, Dominic Dromgall directed a number of Hamlet productions. The thing about Hamlet is that he's a genius. Hamlet is a young genius and he's generous with it. He's got a sort of Mozartian prodigality. He just spills language and thought and um, beautiful words and beautiful um, condensations of big thoughts in sort of tiny, terse little phrases. And he does it sort of unbidden. He's not a miserable, moany, post-Freudian, angst-ridden neurotic. And whenever you see that, you just think, you know, fucking hell, I've got four hours of this. I'm going to die. Beat him about the head with your programme. It's somebody who's very alive suddenly and um, crackling and full of mental energy. And so to be or not to be is both do I want to exist or do I not want to exist? And it's to be, to do things, to get on with stuff, to be active, to be in the world, or not to be, to withdraw, to be inauthentic. And that means that you can approach it at an exhilarated mental speed, which makes it electric and makes it come alive and makes it very fresh. And so you think with Hamlet, rather than you know being presented with a lot of miserable feeling, so that you've got to feel with it. For who would bear the whips and scorns of time? The oppressor's wrong, the proud man's contumely, the pangs of disprised love. I would say there's a great myth about the speech, that it's about suicide. I believe it's action. Joseph Milson played Hamlet in 2009, directed by Bill Buckhurst. It's about action, and that is the key to acting, and actually in everyone's marriage and relationships, if you could just stay in the moment, we'd be all right. But that's Hamlet's problem, is he is so chewed up with his past, and there is the world, the cosmos is offering him an amazing bit of action. Why don't you catch this murderer, and why don't you avenge your father? You've got it. You couldn't have a better mission, a clearer mission, and still he's afraid of it. He's afraid of jumping into the moment. So I don't think it's about suicide. I think it's about the fear of living. Soliloquies are hard to get the hang of at first, but when you actually contact the audience, they are your scene partner. You're actually talking to them. And I have a problem here. Can we debate it? And can we work this out, please? You end up having a great conversation. It just so happens that what you're working with is... Leonardo da Vinci moment of pure freeform genius from a writer the like of which we've never seen before but it's actually not heavy it is active so yeah oh I, I could talk for hours <laughs> many of the actors we spoke to talked about a strange and quite profound impression the role had on them 
Michael Benz played Hamlet at the Globe eight years ago and says it still hasn't left him. I know this may sound like an exaggeration, but I do pinky promise you when I say this, I dream about playing Hamlet at least about three or four times a week. And I know that sounds like way too much, and maybe I need to go and uh, find a counselor and work through that. But honestly, I, I really do. I dream about playing Hamlet. I swear it has something to do with the fact that that role just gets you when you're in the middle of it. You, you end up digging pretty damn deep. You end up, in a way, playing a version of yourself. That's definitely what happened with me. I think I had all kinds of different ideas at the very beginning. By the end, I was playing myself. And then when you get yourself and then you add this language and this story, well, there you are. There you have it. It's Hamlet. It's for everybody. We asked Dominic Dromgall, could he remember a production he saw which really moved the audience? His mind went back to a production with Michael Benz, who we've just heard from. There's lots. There was one we were touring it and we were in Washington and it was an afternoon performance on a Sunday. The actor who was playing it, Michael Benz, you know, he just slipped suddenly into a state of great simplicity, great plainness, great intelligence. And there was a huge amount of feeling in him. He had a lot of his own family in um, and they'd all together shared a sort of heartbreaking tragedy a couple of years before and uh, they'd all attended that performance. And so that enormous amount of emotion was within him, but he didn't play it. He didn't cry. He didn't belabour it. He didn't get all grief-struck or self-involved. He just had it there, let it sit inside him, and let it inform everything that he did, which was beautifully fine and delicate. And you could feel the audience understanding every word, and you could feel them thrilling to all of the different funny little curls and corners of it. And they came out, you know, very... What's the word? enlarged. We went back to Michael Benz to ask him about this performance. <laughs> um, that's incredibly meaningful. Um, I, uh, well, you know, I, um, I remember that weekend. I lost my little sister in a car accident uh, exactly two years before that. And that weekend was her birthday. And my whole family traveled to Washington to see it. That's, that's, uh, that's pretty amazing how Hamlet can uh, touch you like that. Hamlet starts off in deep, deep grief. And I suppose that's how I sort of approach the role in some level. He's a, he's a young man in grief. Dominic used to talk to me a lot about think, think about Hamlet and think about his life before. Think of what Ophelia says about him all the wonderful things that she says about him. And then she says, quite, quite down, jangled, out of tune and harsh. Dominic was really interested in the idea of bringing, bringing out the Hamlet that used to be. Just because tragedy happens in your life, it doesn't mean that the person that you were before is gone. It, it just means that you have this extraordinary heavy weight on you now. But when you can find yourself to just be you, to be able to laugh, to be the jovial party person that you are before the tragedy, you want to bring it out. You know, you open, you open a play with a, with a young man who up until that point has had a pretty cherished, uh, enviable, fun, joyful, bubbly life. And suddenly 
he's in the depths of, of, of something that has completely rocked every inch of him. Well, you know, yes, I could relate to that extremely well. Um, and to say that that did not, uh, you know, influence the, my playing of it, uh, would be a lie. It, it was part of it. And so I, I'm very happy to talk about it. And, um, I, I'm, I'm fairly certain I'm not the first Hamlet to have that experience where you, you, you are suddenly doing this role, having experienced loss. And, uh, but that's very touching that he said that. I, I, thanks for telling me that. <laughs> Adrian Lester says playing Hamlet every night led him to break down, examine and reappraise every aspect of his life. I, I, I think if you're going to play someone who is actively searching for the meaning behind duty, the meaning behind God, the meaning be what, what does a father mean, what does a mother mean, what does love mean, what honour means. In that way, that person is pulling apart everything that holds a normal human psyche together. Okay, your connection to life, your connection to your parents and your guardians, your connection to God or whatever that you might ha have that believe, your connection to your existence. If you in detail pull these things apart and re-examine them to try and find the truth, and you're playing a, par a character who is actively doing that, part of you has to actively go on that search every night. Otherwise, what you're playing is dead. It's just recited. And the emotions you feel are just sort of pretend. You have to actually engage with it. Just as if you're playing a character who is in love with another person on, on, on stage, part of you has to make yourself believe, oh, what would it be like if I was this person and I was in love with this person? You have to imagine that in order to play properly. So as, as I'm playing Hamlet and I'm um, re-examining all of these, um, these points of connection to everything that holds your life down, it does make you yourself actually wonder and question and think, hang on, well, what is that? As Hamlet does, as, as Shakespeare does, you yourself do. And you sort of just use the play to re-examine things. And um, it, it, as you reflect on Hamlet, Hamlet reflects on you. You play Hamlet, you rehearse Hamlet, you play Hamlet and play it and play it and play it until at some point for every actor, you walk on stage, you open your mouth and Hamlet plays you. Every night he played the part at the RSC, Jonathan Slinger had to find a way to prepare himself to find the profound emotional tenor of the role. I, I knew that grief was such a big part of it. So every night I would go down to the side of the stage 15, 20 minutes before the show would go up. And I would stand backstage and I would think the most awful, horrific thoughts about people. I would imagine being at my mother's deathbed, talking to her in, in, in her last sort of few moments of life and imagining the things that I might say to her or the things she might say to me, just to get me there, just to get me there. And it was really, really dark, really dark. I found it, I mean, without question, the most emotionally and physically challenging thing I've, I've ever done. Just totally drained and utterly fulfilled at the same time. After the show had ended, and I remember going upstairs, and I remember going into my dressing room and getting in the shower and sitting on the floor of the shower, sobbing. 
just completely overwhelmed with sort of the enormity, I suppose, of it all. But also a sort of a, a, a relief. I don't know that maybe I wasn't going to have to put myself through that again, although I would have chosen to have put myself through it again in a heartbeat. But it's a, a sort of a sort of a sort of letting go as well of, of, of something. Maybe I've never, never experienced anything like it. Jonathan Broadbent played Hamlet at the Rose Theatre in London. No, it definitely wasn't another job. Absolutely not. Wherever you are at in your life, and my dad had just been quite ill. Uh, He'd had a heart attack and he was effectively, he was clinically dead for six minutes whilst they tried to resuscitate him. And it was the night that he came to see Hamlet that I chose to process that, that, that shock of, of having dealt with that. And, and it was when I got to that speech, it left a profound, I didn't do any theatre for a while after that. It took a while to heal from that. These things are demanding of you. And it's, it's not just imaginative space. It's, it's the imprint that they leave on you. They, they do affect you. They do affect you. It does make you ask the big questions. And actually, you know, mental health is a massive thing. We're, we're much more aware of it now. I lived in West London at the time, and David Tennant was a neighbour, and he'd just done Hamlet at the RSC for a year. And I bumped into him. He said, what, what have you been up to? I said, I've just played Hamlet. And, he, you know, his eyes lit up, but also kind of went, are you OK? And I went, I, I'm still recovering, to be honest. And he said it took me about six months after I finished to kind of purge it from my system. Isabella Marshall has played both Hamlet and his lover Ophelia in different productions. Although both characters go on a similar journey in the play, Hamlet has about ten times as much stage time as Ophelia. Gender imbalance is a recurrent problem, especially in Shakespeare's tragedies. And for Isabella, the contrast was striking. It was even more obvious with A Room Full of Women that the female characters are so passive and, and, and underwritten as well. The male roles are so varied, you know, you're sort of all these different, you're hostile and playful and messy and vulnerable and, and aggressive and, and all that sort of shame and self-loathing in it and, and the language dissects everything in microscopic detail, what it is to be a human, what it is to be alive, how we feel. I didn't know what to expect or what was going to happen. And that was, it felt very freeing. And I guess that should feel like that for most jobs, maybe, but... (laughs) Samuel West's mind goes back to the last night of his run as Hamlet. I came down onto the stage of the Barbican. I just cleared out my dressing room and I put all my stuff in a taxi and I said to the taxi, do you mind just waiting for five minutes? And I thought, I'll go and do a soliloquy on, on the stage. And I went, onto the, I went onto the stage and a young actress who's playing Ariel in The Tempest was working. And she turned to me and said, do you want the stage? And I said, um, no, 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 yours, absolutely. And I thought, that's exactly how it should finish. And I got into the taxi and I drove away and I felt the greatest exhilaration I'd ever felt after a part finishing. I just thought... Well, you, 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 you lived through that, you survived it, and um, just occasionally, well done. Well done for, for doing that. Joseph Milson again. You know, without blowing my own trumpet, I've done some big old Shakespeare parts, and Macbeth, for example, really, I mean, really took it out of me. My, my whole being was drained every night. Hamlet, I have to tell you, gave more than it took. I used to finish two show days of Hamlet and say, great, can we do it again? Let's do it again. As an actor, nothing has 
ever come close to how enjoyable playing Hamlet was. To the point where it makes me, my heart ache. Hamlet gave me pleasure, uh, excitement, uh, a lust for life, funnily enough. I think if you get it right, you as an actor go home happy. You go to the pub walking on air. There's a reason. There's a reason people keep doing it. Whereas Macca's, I have been asked to do again since. And I said, no, thanks very much. Uh, you can keep that one. <laughs> Thank you for listening to To Be or Not To Be. In next week's episode, we'll find out about the extraordinary conditions under which Shakespeare's actors performed Hamlet 400 years ago on the Globe stage, with interviewees including Sir Mark Rylance. Oh, what a wonderful event it would have been. Perhaps the play was just the spark to set off a party. This podcast was started in the depths of the coronavirus lockdown, and the contributors all agreed to take part because they wanted to raise awareness for theatres and for actors, at a time of crisis due to pandemic, to rolling lockdowns and social distancing. All the writers that made that stuff that you like started in theatre. If theatres are knocked back for a generation, we aren't going to have the writers to make the stuff that you enjoy. And also, Britain will be a lot less prosperous because we're very good at this stuff and we sell it all over the world to pay for hospital beds. Practically, does your MP know that you like the theatre? Does your MP know that you value some of your, some tiny bit of your taxes or your local authority taxes being spent on your local arts centre? Do you go there? Do you miss it? Can you send them some money? Can you let them know that you'd book for things if they were open? It's about the people and the people are suffering. We will lose a generation if this goes on much longer. If you want to help, theatres like The Globe have donation pages you can visit, and special fundraisers have been set up during lockdown. If you visit the podcast website, you can find some links. Finally, special thanks go to Emma Fielding and Simon Paisley Day, who recorded versions of the speech at home during lockdown. And thanks too to Chris Dyer, Paul Sem and Hannah Fiore for their invaluable help and support. Soft you now, the fair Ophelia. Nymph in thy orisons, be all my sins remembered. <laughs>